0: Welcome to season two of the Do More Good podcast. They gave us a second series. I don't know, don't tell anybody.
1: You need to kind of just go fast and seize those opportunities.
2: We have no access to any kind of finance whatsoever, but I am drowning in
1: (laughs) So If your people aren't lined up behind why the change they're trying to make is important, nothing happens.
0: What's the difference between work and home life? It
1: doesn't mean you have to be on 24-7, but you have to be receptive to inspiration.
0: Okay, here we are, James, episode 21 of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing?
2: I'm good. Yeah, happy new year to you. And to you as well. Yeah, we have a nice
0: break? Yeah, it was uh, It was really good, actually. Really good to spend some time at home, just with the family, and a little bit busy, a little bit hectic. Yeah, partied uh, hard? Partied a little bit hard on occasions, yeah. but, you know, as much as you can with three small children running around. But yeah, it was good. How was yours?
2: Uh, it was very good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, we went big on the, on the on the hosting, so we probably had between Christmas and um, coming back to work probably about fifty people through our front doors in did New Year's yeah. parties and Christmas Day and Boxing Day, etc. And where was my invite? Uh, you didn't turn up. Oh, yeah. Maybe next year. So next year, maybe in, next year when, when we've got our just you and me,
0: our podcast child.
2: Exactly, <laughs> in, a, in a fireplace <laughs> and cuddled up, it'll be nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, so any New Year's resolutions?
0: Uh, New Year's resolutions are always for me like if you need to make a change in your life make a change in your life but actually yes I do have some New Year's <laughs> resolutions <laughs> because like everybody else I got sucked into the uh, to the advertising and, and looked at myself maybe one morning in the mirror and said oh, yeah you probably drank and ate too much and you know you maybe need to get a little bit fitter again so yeah I'm just trying to, uh, trying to get a little bit fitter and, and put some exercise back into my busy routine what about you
2: well I'm, I'm exactly the same but for maybe a slightly different reason oh. in that I overindulged over Christmas and then the boys called me and said let's go for a ride and I thought, brilliant, yeah, that would be really good. Mm-hmm. R- rode over to Richmond, was riding around the park. I absolutely died. Oh, no. Was, at one point, I was being sick behind a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, this is not <laughs> good. No, that isn't, no. That isn't good. So so anyway, that was a real wake up call to <laughs> yeah. sort, sort things
0: out. And, uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, so here we tree. are, out, out down, down near London Bridge. And we have a guest with
2: us today. We are joined by the chair of the IOF London Committee, a former fundraiser for Cancer Research, NCT, and Mazers the Chief Executive of the Small Charities Coalition. She has a Master's in Charity Management, a Master's. She is the author of the Great Charity Speakers List, is a judge for the Civil Society Awards, one of the top 25 social CEOs in the industry and officially the second most influential fundraiser in the country. What an introduction. It's Mandy Johnson.
1: Hi, I have no idea what <laughs> Mazers is. Marie Curie. <laughs> Marie, Marie Curie. Oh, yeah. to my besties, it's Mazza's. Yes. Got you. So,
0: Mandy, thanks for being here. How, how are you doing?
1: I'm all right. Yeah? yeah? Have
0: you got any New Year's resolutions you want to share with us at So, this point? I have two. Okay.
1: One is to meet face-to-face with more of the women from GreatCharitySpeakers.com because mm-hmm. there's loads of people on that list who've been recommended to me, but I've never met them in person. And the other is to write more poetry.
2: Write more poetry.
1: Yeah. I saw a
2: nice post that you put on Twitter about writing poetry, but and also there were two resolutions, weren't there? Writing more poetry and and not caring if it doesn't rhyme.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you said that that's too, because I thought that was such a deep thing, but I don't know whether people have got the depth to it. So life doesn't always rhyme, (laughs) Um, and that's okay. Yeah, nice. That's That's about being a little bit less perfect.
2: Yeah. I, I live by that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sure. It's obvious, James, yeah. don't worry. So, Mandy, uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself and about your journey and what, what, what brought you to be sitting here today? Obviously, you've had a long career, as James suggested, in in the charity and the not-for-profit sector. Can you tell us a bit about that journey? And, and yeah, so I, d- I didn't
1: start in the charity sector. No. Um, so, having graduated with a law degree where I wrote my dissertation on the difference in the social tax system between the UK and the US...
2: Riveting. You read it as part <laughs> of the research, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I then went to Deloitte. The I'm not because I w- worked there. I can't call it an accountancy firm. I worked for the professional services firm Deloitte. Right. In their um, social tax department, I can see you are very excited about learning more about this. And I worked with FTSE 100 companies who were sending employees abroad, and helped them design their contracts to make them tax efficient sexy stuff. Yeah.
2: That's the dream, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. So That's I can so. S- yeah, oh, you know,
1: why would I have leave that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did actually like, genuinely not like what love are you doing it.
2: here. <laughs> but then somehow and for some reason you turned your back on that.
1: Yeah, so got married to a man who unfortunately has these like morals and, you know, thinks about ethical things oh, and, you know, guys. yeah. Sounds like yeah, a good guy. And he moved from IT into the charity sector and came home with this sense of satisfaction that I wasn't necessarily getting from making people richer and he started questioning whether my career was contributing as much to the planet as I could be so you know I ignored him because I'm a Bolshe woman and you know but but I guess that planted the seed and to cut a long story short I ended up leaving my very well-paid career and and (laughs) going to the charity sector and taking a massive pay cut and did look back. So at one point, I started negotiating to go back go to Deloitte until I discovered Mazars. Ah, uh, yes. Marie Curie. You, you, you were Marie Curie. I was Marie Curie. Yeah. yeah.
2: I think it's only alumni that refer to it as Mazars. Oh, I've it's never yeah. heard, yeah. It. It's just heard just of it. Is it just you? Just you, just you yeah. on your own? Yeah. Just yeah. You. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um, so, so yeah. Was that first first port of call?
1: No, NCT was my first port of call, but I was in the wrong job. So I was working. I was leading the support services team there. And it was nice and I got to talk to supporters, And but it, I hadn't had children, mm. knew nothing about NCT. Mm. It wasn't the right job for me. Okay. Whereas Marie Curie, you know, you meet one of those nurses and yeah. you can't stop. But yeah.
2: and, and you, you were, were yeah, negotiating right. that lift in charity towers most mornings then? and
1: Well, you know, that. this time of year I'd be taking the stairs. Ooh. Very good. Yeah. I was, I was, you know.
2: You're a fellow stair taker yeah. as well because there's only... What was it? Floor six. I was yeah, on. floor so six. That was okay, that wasn't yeah. too bad. Yeah.
1: yeah, I have a friend who works at Macmillan. Never no. doing that. No, no.
0: <laughs> no. So when when you were at Deloitte and you decided to make this change, and your husband had, uh, had had persuaded you that it was the right thing for you, how difficult was that?
1: Well, it was great for him because it was the first time that he'd ever earned more than me, so he was delighted. <laughs> but it was it was wasn't great. Like you know, I think working, I had this vision of the charity sector that everyone would deeply care about the charity they were working for and that wasn't my first experience of the charity sector and that was really disillusioning when you've taken a massive financial hit to be there but as I said when I found Marie Curie then it was amazing so working in the corporate partnerships team which suited me really well so I was working with some of the clients I'd worked with at Deloitte and I was really at home in that sort of environment and I was working for a cause that really needs as much financial support as it can get so i was happy making money for some someone else something else yes
2: interesting that you mentioned how you moved from a different industry a lot of people that that we talk to have done that yeah Um, and then we interviewed peter lewis not so long ago and he was hoping to see fundraising as the first choice of a career for people Mm -hmm. uh, coming into it but quite often people come with different skills I messed about in kind of design agencies before I started in charity and brought some of hopefully brought some of that to mm-hmm. to what we do. You're still wearing the glasses, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, don't need it. and the top knot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you worked elsewhere as well, before yeah, you started uh, as well.
0: yeah. And when we were actually bef- before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about that. About it's great because they bring some kind of other experience. They maybe mm-hmm. bring a bit more of a commercial attitude. But mm-hmm. as you say, if the IOF is, is wanting to make fundraising a really appealing and rewarding, which it obviously is, discipline, then there's probably more that needs to be done at a grassroots at an education yeah. level in terms of courses and things like that. Which I haven't haven't necessarily seen. I don't know if that if that exists at the moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, now you're getting into my whole diversity thing, though, because if we're going straight for education, we're going to automatically put off anyone who is intimidated by education. And that is not a good thing. Yeah. So we do need education of some form, but not necessarily academic courses, blah, blah, blah.
2: Yeah,
0: some, okay. some way, shape or form. Yeah, exactly. And so then you went on to CLUK, the biggest.
1: Yeah. So that had actually been my ambition from leaving Deloitte. So Deloitte was partnered at the time with the NSPCC and Cancer Research UK and i think one of the thing one of the extra motivators for leaving deloitte was loads of people in my life dying from cancer or getting cancer and so cancer research uk was the organisation i wanted to work for because mm. i still believe and did believe that they are bringing forward the day when the cure will be here so yeah i i did apply for cancer research uk before any other charity and they rejected me oh no straight from deloitte i've been there <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the first job I'd ever been rejected from, and I applied for the Cancer Research UK Graduate Scheme, having already done the Deloitte Graduate Scheme, which is harder to get onto. So I think I just arrived with this arrogant "I can do this." Thought you should want basically. me, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I was just massively naive as to mm. what it, what that environment was. But I think by being at Marie Curie and proving that I'm very good at new business, they let me in, <laughs> okay. and, and I never thought I'd leave. I, the only reason I left was because I was headhunted.
0: And so, you know, obviously working at um, CRUK and Mazers. sorry. Mazars, yeah. And then you went on to the small charities. No, so coalition. between then,
1: big, so big now, I, no, no, so the intermediate step was change.org. So I worked ah, for okay. change.org, which is the petition website, for four years. Right. Um, And then I went to the small charities. So coalition. you went from
0: CRUK to change.org?
1: Yeah, so it was change.org who had hunted me. Okay. And the way that they hooked me in, so they on pestering me on LinkedIn but I just thought it was generic mm. you know just you know you get recruiters contacting you all the time but they pestered me so much and personalized it so much I was like okay I'm going to take the time to meet with them for coffee to tell thing. them why I don't want to work for them <laughs> <laughs> but I could help them find the right person mm. but I met this guy called Weldon Kennedy for coffee and um we were talking everything through and he said but you could still work with Cancer Research UK if you worked for us you could just work with multiple charities you could work with more than one cancer charity and and that was a light bulb moment for me of oh if I move here I can work with loads so my job there was director of partnerships I was forming partnerships with charities and so got to work with all of the charities that I cared about Mm. um so I think when the small charities coalition job came up that was the common thread Mm. it was
2: so it's more the motivation to work with numerous causes than it was the the role itself yeah it or something? Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely yeah. and small charities coalition so it, i'd love the idea of working with lots of charities and helping lots of charities again but i'd also in the meantime started volunteering for lots of small charities and seen how different they were
0: rewinding a little bit what was it mandy i mean you said obviously about your husband and he was working in the sector at the time but what was it for you what was your main driver for that that change from Deloitte
1: I think I recognised in myself that I wasn't motivated in the same way by money as other people are Right. and I have nothing against I'm actually quite jealous of people who are motivated by money money. because (laughs) that's relatively easy to achieve I think if I wanted to earn lots of money I'm quite confident that I could Mm. but I don't get satisfaction from it Mm. so I was seeking satisfaction elsewhere
0: so that job satisfaction of actually having a yeah. positive impact on people's lives. Hopefully, exactly, is what we're doing like more well, we guess good. I
2: got into charity for the money. So I'm <laughs> <God> crushed. Oh. <laughs> yeah, really uh, yeah. So, so we're going to talk a little bit about a recent blog post that you did. Yeah. And that's that touches on on stress <laughs> and burnout and <laughs> depression. <laughs> <laughs> um, Perfect theme tune bit for talking about yeah, bit depression. Put the music for yeah. bit of background music up. Put the background music there. Great. It sounded like from from the blog post that you wrote yeah that you noticed things about yourself from two thousand and twelve yeah so was that a real trigger for you back or back then or had you always noticed that about yourself or
1: so I've been on an interesting journey with mental health and I now recognize that it started long ago yeah. But the reason that I've been more aware of it is because five years ago, my dad's sister, who was also my godmother, took her own life. And so as a family, we've started talking about mental health a lot more. And my dad wanted us all as a family to make a pledge that none of us will take our own lives, which some people in the family disagree with because, well, for various different reasons. But it's kind of a, a mantra that we try to live against. Like, we, you know, if you find yourself in that place we as a family will do everything we can to support you so that doesn't happen and he then started looking back into our family history and made a film about it and there are multiple suicides in my family history so you know I've become a little bit more aware of mental health and I'm also aware of my tendency to push myself really hard And I know that that had been over-exaggerated by moving into the charity sector. So working for organisations that I really cared about combined with being a target-driven individual meant that I was working really long hours, really putting a lot of pressure on myself. And when I got the job at the Small Charities Coalition, that got even worse in a sense. So, you know, I was working really long hours. I just couldn't switch off because I care so much. And I still do care a lot about them. But then... So for me, there was a big moment in my job at a Small Charities Coalition that led to me having a mental breakdown. And that's, you know... I'd say I had a mental breakdown in August 2018. Okay.
2: And so you you, t- you talk about that and that excellent blog post um, yeah, yeah. that led to us finally getting in touch with you and and, and inviting you, you on to talk. Could you give us a brief idea of that for people that... Yeah. Um, what amazing people breakdown? haven't read that blog post, um, could you give us a brief Okay, so idea
1: the blog post I wrote because... I, you know, I'm on Twitter all the time. And I, I, I actually, maybe I didn't see it on Twitter. An article You're on Twitter more than James, I think, actually. Aren't you? <laughs> I'm not on it right now. <laughs> An article came into my inbox saying a partnership that I had formed whilst I was at Cancer Research UK six years ago has now raised £20 million. And so to start off with, I tweeted something like, oh, I'm really proud of this, and I am really proud of that. And I feel really happy that something I did has left that sort of legacy. But it also brought back how I, how I was feeling at that time, and I was, you know, started getting all these messages saying, "Wow, you you know, your partnership has raised twenty million pounds. That's amazing." And I thought, actually, I was feeling awful the morning after that partnership was formed. You know, I didn't want to get out of bed. I was just feeling terrible. In a scenario where I should have been celebrating, and I now recognise that I had depression then, um, only because of the journey I've been on learning about mental health. And actually, if something had been done six years ago, I might not have had a mental breakdown in 2018. What do you mean
0: by something that something could have been done six years ago? Do you mean by treatment or yeah, Yeah, if I'd had professional help or...
1: So I have no sense of animosity or blame or anything at all against the people who are managing me at Cancer Research UK Mm -hmm. at the time because... Only six years ago, no one was trained in that sort of thing. Mm. I, I don't think anyone... You just
2: said it that now your family is much more open about talking about mental exactly. health. And I think it's, it's a bigger on the agenda society-wide, isn't it? Mm. It's become more... It's interesting thing, you say
0: that six years ago. I mean, for, for me, six years ago, it feels like mental health has been on the agenda for maybe 10 years, but maybe it's...
1: I think it has it? been on the agenda. It's been... start People have started I mean. to talk about it, but I haven't checked this with Cancer Research UK, but I'm pretty confident they'll have mental health first aiders there now. Yeah. I don't think they would have had those. or no. they didn't have Which those. Which is a six fairly new initiative, That's I think, so isn't it? Yeah. So I think people have been talking about it for a mm. long time, but I think practical ways of dealing with it is still work in progress. Mm. So when so when I had a mental health breakdown whilst working for a charity, none of my trustees knew how to deal with that, and one of them, you know, phoned me after an email that I sent to her and said really openly. We, we don't know what we're doing here and we're going to get things wrong. And I thought, is that acceptable? Mm. I don't know. You know, I'm ill. All I'm telling you is I'm ill and you don't know how to cope with it. And, the, you know, they so don't know how to cope with it, they don't even know who to reach out to.
2: Mm. I guess they were just trying to be honest with you, weren't they? That, that they didn't know what they were doing. But um, did they recognize that? You, you said that you went to them and explained that you were having issues. Did they recognize that as
1: well? So when I had my breakdown, they got a letter from my doctor and I sent them guidance from mind saying, this is how you can manage someone who's struggling with mental health. So you were
2: doing the research? I was doing the
1: research. Well, I I mean, I was the chief exec, so I kind of saw it as, I I found it really difficult to switch off from my role as the person who advises the board. So I carried on doing that to a certain extent. But again, everything is interesting in hindsight. Mm. I had cried in front of all of my trustees in a board meeting, probably three or four months prior to that. And the response to that was the chair met with me the next day and joked about, oh, you're not going to have a mental breakdown on us, are you? And at the time, you know, looking back, I I didn't reply to her because I thought, I don't know. (laughs) You -hmm. know, I'm, I'm not, I knew I wasn't mentally balanced then. And I think the whole board knew I wasn't mentally balanced then. But none of us, including me could put a name on that or knew what to do about it
0: so if you think about uh and and hopefully like you said at the start of this what we we talked about what you want to get out of this and about sharing your blog post it's about hopefully having a positive impact on other people that might have been going through similar or not worse or or slightly better experiences that you went went through what would you say to them what recommendations would you give to those people now because i think that's one of the things in this sector and what was really interesting about your blog post when I read it was as exactly as you touched on is the fact that people come into this with the best of intentions, Mm -hmm. wanting to have that real impact on other people, wanting to do good uh, effectively but then that just pushes them to burnout and I mean Rob Woods who was on a few weeks ago and and being on his training course in the past, there's a lot of talk in the sector about burnout Mm -hmm. and the fact that we're not being people aren't being managed or burnout being isn't being managed. So, mm-hmm. yeah, sorry, going back to my question, what what would you say someone now who's maybe in that situation? Well, I
1: mean, I'm still on a journey. I'm, mm. not, I'm not an expert in this in any way, shape or form. But at the moment, where my thoughts are up to is it has to come from top down. Like mm. managers need training, chief execs need training, boards need training because we can't, to a certain extent, yes, as individuals, we need to take responsibility for ourselves, you mm. know, and we can all do exercise and we all know what's good for us and blah, blah, blah. But telling someone not to work too hard will not stop them working too hard. I know that. Telling people it's okay if they go home early doesn't mean they will go home early if the targets don't allow them to go home early. Mm. So there is training required at management level to recognize someone who looks like they're struggling and know what to do about that and also recognizing how to put targets that are helpful to people. You know, Yes, we all want to raise X amount of money, but we don't want to lose fundraisers in the process.
0: No, absolutely. We don't. We don't want to lose fundraisers.
2: I think there's something about the sector as well that we that we work in. We're surrounded by causes and people that we want to help. Yeah. So there isn't that focus on yourself. I can imagine it's it's quite easy to push your own health to to the bottom of a list. Exactly. Well, I wrote
1: in my article like I wasn't raising money for Cancer Research UK. I was raising money to save lives. You know, and I believe that. So how do you go home when you could save another life? Yeah. It's really hard but manage, you know with large organisations like that where they you know they've got the money to invest in their staff they would end up raising more i believe if they knew how to to deal with that how to manage that i think it's quite unique to the charity sector that situation
0: Do you think this is about being more open and having conversations? I mean, I know you said it should be a top-down approach, but...
1: What I don't want to do is push everyone to share their story if they're not ready. No, absolutely. I don't
0: don't think any of us are...
1: But I think if you are able to talk about it, talking about it is good for other people. So I've been Mm. inundated with people sharing privately with me that they've had mental breakdowns Mm. and they can't talk about it publicly because people in their own families don't know Mm. and that's people from big charities from big charity agencies you know it is happening left right and center but i think people who are in a position of power within the charity sector world need to wake up to this as a reality and put processes in place put policies in place that allow people to live a healthy life
0: it's. I don't know how the response to this kind to mental health is in other countries, and I haven't done any research <laughs> on this. Maybe, maybe you have, Mandy, but I, you know, I think it sounds like from what you're saying, and, and I guess my thoughts on it are that we want people just to be more open. And obviously, there's restrictions in terms of you might not have told your family, and you know, it's a very personal thing. And you've mm. been very brave in terms of telling your story. I'm sure you don't even see it as brave. You just being you and, 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 mm. and, and want to hopefully help other people by sharing your story. But I'm just thinking like a culture like America, for example, where you know, they have a slightly different... They don't have that stiff upper lip that we have in the, in the UK and are probably mm. a little bit more open. I wonder if they are dealing with, with mental health in a, in a slightly different way. Is Well, I right? mean, if
1: you, uh, you know, if you watch American TV, everyone has a therapist.
0: <laughs> That's true.
1: You know, everyone says, oh, I'm going to talk to my therapist about That's this. That's true. It's more, th-
0: it's more acceptable to talk about that and you wouldn't necessarily have that conversation here down the pub with your friends or whatever to say oh yeah I'm going to see my therapist tomorrow that's true so
1: yeah and in fact now I talk about it openly I have had people saying actually the person I'm meeting next is my therapist but don't tell anyone you know so that's happening as well Um, so we've all got to
0: take a bit of responsibility for that then in terms of trying to be a bit more open and having I mean, you, you you touched on the the mental health health first aiders mm-hmm. course. I went on it maybe two months ago, just before Christmas, and it was incredible. Mm-hmm. But everybody who sat in that room, you know, had their eyes wide open, and you could see those those stiff upper lips. Like, does that mean I I really have to talk about, uh, you know, how I'm feeling inside? And it's it's. Something we find difficult to do, as I think, as, as British folk, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm. Unfortunately. Yeah.
2: I wonder if there's differences in other sectors as well, where it's more acceptable to spend money on your own staff. Yeah, it, it's a big admin cost, isn't it, investing in your staff? So yeah. it'd be interesting. Well, I've
1: got. A, so I was talking to a friend um, who works in the private sector for a large pharmaceutical, and um, they have resilience training there. Mm. You literally get sent on a course that's nothing about nothing else but resilience.
0: That's pretty incredible. No, it isn't comes
2: it? up on many job descriptions, isn't it? That people need to be resilient in this role uh, in the charity sector. It's almost expected of you to be.
1: Yeah, and I, so that has really been. So I I do not want a job at the moment, but when I thought I wanted a job and started reading job descriptions, that word resilience really shouted out to me because I thought, well, are you not going to give me a job because I've got mental health problems? Mm. I don't know. What does what does resilience mean? Yeah. Mm. Um, so I'm yeah, exploring that a lot.
0: That's interesting. So you're not you're not working at the moment, you're doing a bit of freelancing and yeah, how so are I you say feeling yourself or you get a, you kinda
1: Well, up and dressed and
0: <laughs> Yeah, because I've read in you you were very honest in saying yeah, that you were yeah. in bed for up to a couple of weeks at a time and
1: Yeah, I mean I got to the point where I couldn't couldn't do anything. Couldn't you know, it was completely debilitating. But so I'm better than that. Mm. I still wouldn't describe myself as well and mm. I'm still on medication. hmm and I'm still seeing a therapist and that will continue hopefully if the NHS will let it for as long as possible but I am able to take on freelance work which I'm mm-hmm. enjoying mm-hmm. so I'm, the word enjoying actually means quite a lot to me now so when you get into the you know, deep dark depths of depression you, you lose pleasure in everything nothing brings you pleasure anymore and now things bring me pleasure again which is great mm. including work mm. so I've always loved work I still love work but now I'm doing it on my own terms it's
0: great. It's good to you hear.
2: You there about the, the extremes that things went to. Before that, w- uh, looking back and maybe with hindsight, were there telltale signs for you and for other people that that was maybe coming? And, and are there things that, you know, a, as managers we can look out for and, and, and spot in people that they're working too hard? For
1: me, it was working too much. And I started, I stopped doing the things that I would enjoy and replaced them with more work. Partly because I enjoy work, so it's you know it's a vicious circle. But one of the things that my therapist has taught me is when, the more depressed you get, the more you will do things that you think you have to do rather than things that bring you joy and pleasure and enjoyment. So if you see someone really pushing themselves too hard, that can be a sign of it.
0: So almost the opposite to what you'd assume if someone was highly stressed or or depressed you'd assume that they'd pull back from their work but there can be and and this is depression and mental health is very much an individual thing right it affects people in all different types of ways but in your situation you worked harder you pushed yourself more towards it which in the end had a more of a detriment exactly and i
1: can't you know i can tell you personal experiences i've seen i don't Mm. know what the symptoms are but so i've seen people stop cleaning they stop you know they can either have a massively messy house because they just can't cope with it or they can go the opposite way and have an obsessively clean house so i think the only common thread i've noticed which is me as a not expert is extremes if you see extreme behavior from someone that's probably not healthy okay
2: and as we said earlier we're not apportioning blame to any of your previous managers or anyone you've worked with in the past but are there things that people could have done for is there anything anyone could have done for you at that point to if they recognize that could they have stepped in and said something to you try to relieve some of that pressure
1: well now i know that you can have um like, you know you have uh, desk assessments like so you make sure your chair is the right level blah 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 yep. you can do that with mental health you can have like a mental health they
0: surely those desk assessments <laughs> where you have to sit and show actually i'm setting that saying that sitting here with a bad back <laughs> there to we that go would you like a cushion <laughs> 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 so probably all right but, but yeah. i
1: think if you if you just swap the word mental for physical, it's mm. all the same, it's mm. all the same. So mm. a physical health assessment, you'll have a mental health assessment. If you mm. spot someone who looks like they might not be coping quite so well, think about their work environment and get some expertise that can help manage that situation. But
2: I think
0: back to the mental health first first aid course, you know, it was just about having a conversation yeah, with someone and recognising that, yeah. that and saying you know, how are you feeling today? You look like you're, you know, you're really going on it, and maybe grabbing that, oh, yeah, grabbing that few moments to. We don't to even have
2: to go, uh, as, you know, to the to the extremes. I think we all wake up at four o'clock in the morning with a panic about something ridiculous, mm-hmm. and then just then going in that next morning and talking about it rather than burying it underneath everything which mm. you're trying yeah. to do. And I, I, I certainly catch myself doing that. The thing slipped down my to-do list, and then I wake up in the middle of the night thinking, why didn't I just do that today? yeah Because yeah. I didn't sleep about it last night, and then I haven't done it. Because I buried it. Whereas if you just have that, yeah. I used
0: to, um, so I used to volunteer for for the Samaritans a few years ago mm-hmm. on the, on the phones, and I think that was a real eye opener to me to see the different, you know, people that were were living with with mental health conditions. And seeing how, how ranging it could be, you know, from, remember doing night shifts and, and people phoning up and saying, I just haven't slept for, you know, two weeks. This is kind of, I've got a normal job. And these were GPs, they mm-hmm. were teachers, they were, you know, they were professions that you just wouldn't assume. And I think that's probably part of what it is. We assume if someone is a charity CEO <laughs> or a, Head of Business Development, or whatever they mm. might be, we assume they're in that position. They must be solid. They're a strong leader. They, you know, they're driving us forward. They're working is, hard.
2: The higher you go, presumably, the more lonely you get in your in your role. I'm,
0: I'm I'm sure there is, and so you know, just just remember, I think that you can always ask your CEO how they're feeling, or or what, you know. what
2: if you are the, the CEO, then yeah, yeah go and to uh, the trustees maybe, and yeah,
0: or, or you know, or or if you if you're working for a CEO, I think what we what we need to do, and, and going back to your point, Mandy, around getting the top-down approach to kind of look at processes is make the make the workplace more of a... F- rather than this hierarchy that we've had, make it more friendly, acceptable and open to have conversations with people at all levels. And that doesn't necessarily always have to be about work. Of course, you're going to speak about work, but just, just checking in on each other and making or sure... Or okay. keep
1: your hierarchy, because hierarchy should be about work. And if the people at the top think that their job is to keep everyone functioning and functioning at the highest level possible mm. then it's their responsibility to ask people how, how they are that's not about being friendly that's about doing your job right doing yeah job the, right.
2: The, the episode with rob was about how uh, the really good senior people he'd seen invested all of their time in people exactly they, they weren't fundraisers anymore they were, they were they were managing their their teams to be fundraisers yeah
0: yeah i mean I, firstly i want to say just you know thank you for being so open i think it will be it will be certainly helpful for other people like it was and i mean you only have to read the the Twitter feed mm. from your original post, just to show how much it means people, and we, mean, we need more people who are who are going to openly openly talk about it. Is there any th- message that you would want to give people that, that are listening to this, Mandy, to say? You know, I recognise this. I'm coming out the, the back end of what's been a, a, a difficult process, a difficult mm-hmm. time period in your life. But looking forward and, and looking ahead, is there anything, any kind of message that you would want to give to people?
1: I don't know. I, I guess I want people to know that. I am coming out of this, and I feel like I am coming out of it as a stronger person who is making decisions that are better for my life. But I'm quite excited about what I'm going to achieve in the future as well. So hopefully I will be proof that you can have mental health problems and still be successful But in your own definition of what success is.
0: Mm. I'm sure you will. And that's probably a good segue into talking about your... Great charity speakers list, yeah, which is one of your initiatives, and you were telling James and I about something that you are planning on doing with that. Mm. Do you want to elaborate a little yeah. bit more publicly well, at the so moment, or are you <laughs> keeping this close well, to? It your chest? depends
1: when we go live. It'll give me um, the impetus to actually do it. <laughs> so, so first of all, I don't like saying that it's my great charity speakers list because the great the idea and concept was yours. Well, right? it was just crowdsourced by people who all think the same thing, and the only thing I did was set up a WordPress site which captured all of these amazing talented women who were being recommended to me as great speakers within the charity sector so if you want to see that go to Um but what I have been learning on that journey so the purpose of it was to get more different types of people speaking at charity conferences because as much as I love white men you know I'm married to one you know my father is one I don't believe they can teach me absolutely everything I need to know. Therefore, there should be other people in charity conferences teaching me other stuff too. So we need more of those people on stage. So that was the point of com was just to get conference organizers, not just getting the usual suspects on stage. What I've learned so far is that what they're doing is using my list to remind them of people who are good at speaking that they've seen talk before. They're not trying new people out. And sadly, that's resulted in predominantly white women getting more airspace and that's not sad in this yes i want more women to get airspace but actually we've got a real diversity issue within our sector therefore we need to get more people of color we need more people with disabilities we need to we need to see more different types of people represented at charity conferences so in order to tackle that i am building a new platform to allow people to hear from the the people on that list so i want people to get a taster of what these women know about what their expertise are i don't want any of them talking about diversity because i don't think i've got any diversity experts on there at all this is
0: just about their experience their knowledge their their professionalism what they can teach you, what they can teach
1: you. Yeah. yeah what and can we learn from a platform to do that exactly so then hopefully the conference organizers will go oh yeah i heard that person speak they're really good i should invite them to my conference mm-hmm. so that's the theory behind it it's
0: I was going to put some pressure on you. When are you expecting to go live? But no, so no.
1: So it's built. Yeah, I wanted to have a bit more content on there before it goes live. But Mm. you know, potentially within the next week or so, we'll we'll be there. Wow, Wow.
2: that's (sighs) imminent. Yeah. Yeah. Can
0: we? uh, Just I mean, you're touching on conferences there, and you know, I guess having attended a few conferences over the last couple of years, there does seem to be a lot in the charity sector, right? There's a lot of conferences. Out of your, if, if there's someone listening to this who's either relatively new into their career or you know maybe hasn't had the illustrious career of yourself or of yourself James um, which conferences would you recommend for for someone to just well start the one on? that i want to run well <laughs> once that gets built then we'd obviously give you top billing <laughs> on that one but before that uh, any any that both of you i mean any that kind of it's tricky come because to mind, like the
1: best one in my opinion is the most expensive one which is the IFC that happens in the Netherlands every year ah, so that's okay. thousands of pounds is it so it's completely out of reach for most... I've only yeah, ever I've viewed heard. that one through Twitter, <laughs> I think,
0: Yeah, actually. same here.
2: I've only seen seen great things about it rather yeah. than see it myself. Mm-hmm. And it is
1: really good, yeah. sadly, because it's so expensive. Hopefully people will provide bursaries or something.
2: Yeah. But there's some great charity
0: meet-ups as well, though, right? Isn't it? Where you can get... Maybe smaller crowds, not quite necessarily the, the scale of a major conference like that or the or the IOF.
1: Well then, that gives me the opportunity to plug my own stuff. So, as a Chair there of the Institute go. of Fundraising Southeastern London, um, we have a, if you're based in London, we have a monthly masterclass. Mm-hmm. So, the one that's happening next week is Rob Woods, who has already featured oh, on yeah, your podcast. You yeah. So, you can go and see Rob Woods for a tenner, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing. That's probably the cheapest you can see him anywhere. And, um, so I represent Southeastern London. There are groups like mine across the country Mm -hmm. who will have most of them have what's called a first Thursday so every first Thursday of the month they will have that sort of networking masterclass sort of thing where you get to meet other fundraisers in your area and it's a cheap and cheerful way to meet people who want to help you in your career and that's
0: the that's the key to it isn't it? meeting people sorry James you were gonna say
2: well I was gonna say that um they may be cheap and cheerful but actually they're they're up-and-coming people often get their shot at presenting at those things. Um, Not so in London. We only have the top only have dogs, But I've seen some brilliant younger people coming through, and it's their first chance to kind of get up on stage and, and talk about what they know. Really? That maybe you wouldn't see at the uh, the IFC or the, the IOF big conventions. And It's their first chance to do that. Future leaders. Future leaders, yes. Presenters. You can say you saw Rob Woods back in 1998. <laughs> 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 got the t-shirt got the (laughs) t-shirt
0: I think we can I mean we're 37 minutes through I mean it's a it's a a really deep topic and I know we've only just really scratched the surface Mm. surface on it but I think Mandy as I said earlier it's great to have you on thank you for sharing it thank you for being so honest where can people find you if they want to send you a direct message, please don't send Mandy direct messages, <laughs> so where can people find you and
1: see your website again, on Twitter, again? Sadly on Twitter. what answered. did we call her before, well, she's,
0: she's a BDIF, a
2: BDIF, big deal in fundraising but she's also a BDOT, big deal, <laughs> big
0: deal on Twitter, there you go, yeah.
2: so
1: I'm Ms Mandy, J, MS Mandy J. on Twitter, Ms Mandy J. Um, I'm also, I mean I'm l- on LinkedIn, I'm just
0: relatively easy to find, yeah,
1: yeah. Sadly, we'll, li- we'll yeah.
2: link to everything in the, in the show notes below,
0: and we have got some standard questions at the end, which we would like to ask you if that's okay. Shoot. It's a little bit of a bit fun, but a bit off the cuff. So, number one, if you could place an advert across Facebook, across the world, for a day, what would it say and why?
1: Mm. Somebody loves you.
0: Nice. Yeah. Just like to that. you know. Because so that's true. It's me.
1: What
2: advice would you give somebody starting out on their fundraising career, or maybe thinking of leaving the sector?
1: Mm. Mm. Well, that's two questions in one. You're cheating. Um, Someone starting their career in fundraising, I'd say get to meet other fundraisers as soon as possible so you don't reinvent the wheel and you learn from them. Is Um, that another
0: plug for your IOF meetup? uh,
1: You could do that through the Institute of (laughs) Fundraising. £10
0: Um, Rob Woods next Thursday, was it?
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Only for IOF members is more expensive if you're not a member. So maybe first tip, join the IOF. There you go. Second tip for someone thinking of leaving the sector is come and talk to me because I want to know why, and you know, maybe we can try and change the sector rather than leaving it.
0: Oh, I like that, that's good. And then the last one what's the one fundraising story that sticks in your mind from all your years of experience? And what either you mean be by a fundraising
1: like story, a, your questions a, are not specific, either, su- guys, either, either a
0: supporter, either someone fundraising for a, either a major donor. I don't, it can be anything. Any fundraising stories. Okay. doing some amazing fundraising.
1: Maybe my favourite story at the moment is that, so, part of the reason I ended up going from Deloitte to Mazars, Marie Curie, was because I'm, one of my best friends I met at Deloitte, we were working there together, then he moved into the charity sector and went to Marie Curie. So he essentially brought me over and he's now left the charity sector Mm. to a very well paid job and he gets a bonus that is five figure bonus every year. Nice. Um, But he knows the reality of the charity sector and he still wants to do good. So he says that he does good just by being friends with me and (laughs) buying me lunch because he can afford it and I can't. But I know every year what date he gets his bonus so we meet that week, and I tell him who he has to give a grand to. Oh. So, you know, in a, so I, he only gives to small charities, so a grand makes a big difference yeah, yeah, to them. Yeah. But that's my favourite donor journey, is nice, nice. I've slowly built him up to know that when he gets that bonus, he has to give at least 1% of it. It's so in your Google Diary every year. It's it literally up, is, is, yeah. It? His birthday and the day he gets his bonus. That's good. And he looks forward to it. So, you know, he he relishes the joy of giving now. He gets to buy me lunch and he gets to give away a £1,000 and it feels great
2: to everyone involved. What's more expensive, the donation or the lunch?
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I've been ta- talking about <laughs> uh,
0: great fundraising stories. I heard podcasts this week with the big pink dress guy. Oh, Have yeah, you yeah, seen yeah. him? The yeah. guy who does all the marathon. 56 running events he's done. Raised over 100000 for breast, breast cancer, cancer. Yeah. now, I think. Yeah, And, yeah. 56 dresses big pink dresses that he has in his loft and he was absolutely brilliant i think it was uh martin yelling and marathon talk oh yeah yeah check that one out it was really good just hearing his story and why he does it and be doing it for for four years and yeah anyway that that was mine i heard this week he's an absolute hero well i think Um, we can wrap it up. just
2: before we go congratulations on that 20 million pounds well done thanks Uh, great effort thank you very much yeah (laughs) thank thank
0: you you, mandy and yeah we'll see you soon Cheers. cheers james thanks then
2: Before we go, quick quiz for you, Kenneth. Uh, Twitter, do more good pod. Instagram, do more good pod. Website, do more good.uk. Uh,
0: reviews, please leave them on iTunes and all other good podcast providers are available. MySpace, uh, <laughs> little k, Dizzle, still going strong. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that goes in there. every week. <laughs> we don't need to do the others, that's so great. <laughs> little